Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I'm the Everton FC correspondent, and I'm here with my colleagues, Adam and Chris. And normally, we're in the middle of an international break and normally be quite quiet during this time. But actually, we've got a fair bit to talk about you. A bit of transfer activity, injuries, of course. We'll look slightly yeah. ahead, towards, <laughs> ahead towards Southampton at the weekend. But we will start at the obvious place to start, and that is Anfield last night, where Everton women... Pulled off a historic win, a pretty emphatic win as well. I think we'd, we'd agree, wouldn't we? Yeah. Adam, Chris, you were both there. Chris, yeah. you were reporting on it. Adam, you yeah. were in the stand. So yeah. I'll start with you, Chris. Chris, yeah. what did you make of it? I think that Everton uh, dominated um, from start to finish. And you say that about any Merseyside derby match, be that at Goodison Park or, or Anfield, um, you you would take that. Um, I said... Um, Record crowd for a WSL match between uh, the two sides. I think about 4,000 more than the last um, pre-COVID fixture between the pair of them at, at Anfield. So uh, it could have possibly been a bit more. It'd be kick-off time being a bit kinder. I think Sunday evening with all those kids and young kids and families going, obviously got moved for Sky Television, but possibly could have been even more if it had been a more accommodating kick-off time. But from Everton's point of view, dominated from um, start to finish, well worth... Um, their early lead had already been peppering the Liverpool goal with chances. Game was no surprise when they doubled that very uh, cool finish from young uh, Jess Park, um, you know, rounding the keeper and putting into the net the cop end, put them in control at the break. Then they kept Liverpool at arm's length in second half and then just hit them at the end with a, 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 the sucker punch and it 3 0 and uh, the tumultuous scenes in front of the the away end uh, uh, full-time whistle, yeah, then Brian Sorensen must have been absolutely delighted with that because obviously they'd lost the first game of the season uh, at West Ham, whereas Liverpool had got off to a victory against Chelsea. So, yeah, to get the, the three points, hopefully it can be a platform for them to en- enjoy a good season. Mm-hmm. There were 27,574 people out here watching a fantastic attendance last night. You were part of the Soul away end, Adam. Yes. What was it like in there? It was fantastic, you know, yeah. The atmosphere <laughs> was really good, the energy... Even when you were down in the in the concourses before the game, everyone was really up for it. There was a little singing section, it seemed, just like behind me to the right of me, sort of thing. So they were, you know, starting the chants throughout as a lovely couple of renditions of Spirit of the Blues. There was some chants uh, uh, related specifically to the players as well, which was yeah, it was it was really nice. And as Chris says, I think it was a really important game uh, for the sides. You know, Brian Sorensen obviously starting off. His new sort of regime, it, it you know, it, another sort of rebuild for Everton women mm-hmm. after you know Willie Kirk was sacked you know a year ago, and then John Luke Fraser couldn't uh, couldn't uh, inspire any sort of rebuild himself. So it it, it was always going to be uh, very interesting to see how Sorensen would set up for this first Merseyside derby. It's ended up being quite a difficult start to the season, thanks to the Leicester game being pushed back, yeah. and then you know starting with two away matches, but. 
I thought they bounced back from that uh, for opening day defeat against West Ham really, really well. As Chris said, from the opening minutes of the game, dominated possession, which I think was uh, really, really promising to see. I know Liverpool have only just been promoted, but they played really well against Chelsea on the opening weekend, got a really strong win in, in their in their opinion. So, you know, confidence and motivation would have been very high mm. uh, for the hosts uh, on, on Sunday, but Everton managed to completely take control from the opening minutes. As Chris said, kept them at arm's length all the way through and they never looked like they never looked like they were going to do anything but win comfortably. And mm. I think that's going to be really, really promising. Obviously you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself in terms of looking ahead to the to the rest of the season. But you know, the style of play that they were playing looked a lot better than it was for the majority of last season. These new players seem to have integrated themselves into the squad really well already. Sorensen seems to have, you know, instilled his style of football uh, a lot quicker uh, at the start of this season. And yeah, there's a there's a there's a whole lot of promising signs. So fingers crossed they'll be able to build on that first home game. Uh, coming against Leicester mm-hmm. uh, this midweek, I think it's yeah, rescheduled, yeah. rescheduled to Thursday. So, you know, hopefully they can get a really decent crowd there at Walton Hall Park and be able to push the side on again. It's quite interesting because obviously there, there are actually a few parallels between what's going on with the, the men's senior side and with the and the ladies' senior side. Because obviously you've got, you know, a, a change in strategy. Obviously they have both had disappointing seasons last season and both had a summer of overhaul. I think yeah. Sorensen, although he was appointed in April, this was his first game in charge. And like Frank, he likes to be aggressive on the front foot, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of that last night, but we also saw obviously a lot of new players as well. I think we've had 10 new faces as well as a new manager in Everton Women. Mm. And we've had nine outgoing. So it's been a massive overhaul this summer. Chris, who was it that impressed you most last night? <laughs> you, you were supposed to say this, isn't it? Uh, apologies for my Danish pronunciation <laughs> if it's um, wrong. But um, uh, Katrina Vea, or however Joe's been telling me to say it. Very interesting because they, they played 3 4 3. It was actually how Everton men start the season and now moved on to 4 3 3. But despite playing on the left hand side of defence, she was actually one of Everton's uh, most creative um, outlets. Um, got a real strong run. She's actually one of the older players, one of the 230 somethings in the team, but really energetic. Lots of um, through balls uh, dictating the, the play. And like I said, the other end, young uh, Jess Park, just 20 years old and long from Manchester City. We've already said took that goal with a plot in front of the cop and laid on the third goal at, um, at the end. It's, it's interesting, really, because we all know about the Lionesses now mm-hmm. and uh, the, the great success they had over the summer. But um, um, a, a couple of um, English players scoring the goals for Everton who, who haven't played at full international level yet. So maybe they're ones who, you know, it's the World Cup in Australia, New Zealand, I believe, next summer. So, you know, there's going to be opportunities um, in that squad sort of break into the team. There's been a few retirements at international level after the Euros' success. So, yeah, it, 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 it bodes well. There's plenty of um, talent in, in that Everton team. And considering, as we've said, there's been such a, a major overhaul over the summer and maybe not like uh, the, the big spending um, sides at the past, I mean, it, it, it does give you encouragement that it, it will hopefully be a, a better season this year for them. And obviously, I mean, you mentioned the Lionesses there, you know, hoping to build on the momentum of the summer and what the England side achieved. But it's been positive signs so far. I think we had the open day at Goodison Park earlier on the summer where you had a significant number of um, of, of supporters and young families turn out to watch the players during the summer holidays. And then obviously we had the sold out away end yesterday. First home game of the season, Walton Hall Park on Thursday night, the Leicester match. 
How important do you think, Adam, is it that that, that wave of enthusiasm just carries on behind the side? I think it's, well, if we're speaking about parallels to the to the men's mm. first team as well, it, it's it's absolutely crucial, isn't it? Because, you know, as I say, this is Brian Sorensen's, you know, first, first real steps as uh, the, uh, the Everton women manager. And I think, you know, it, it, it has been a really, really sort of positive impact that he had, especially if you're looking at that. Merseyside derby win. I think you know Chris is right in the two players he picked out. I think Natalie Bjorn moving up from uh, a centre back position that she played a lot of last season, moving up into uh, central midfield. I think she really dominated mm. a lot of the play, dictated it from a sort of a deep line midfield role. She was the one who got the assist for Jess Park's goal as well. I thought that was a lovely ball over the top. So you know, as I say, this is an ex- an exciting brand of play. We've got exciting players who've come to the club and seem to have settled settled in quite well along with some some really promising players that were still here you know the likes of Natalie Bjorn I thought Izzy Christensen uh, led from the front really well as well so and you know got Mel Finnegan Gabby George as well you know some really 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 talented players at this uh, Everton women's side now and yeah as you say if you if you if you take this through into a home match against Leicester when you're hoping that you, that you can have another great crowd at Walton Old Park you know Leicester are a team that's probably expected to struggle a little bit this mm-hmm. season. Uh, it, it should be another good opportunity for Everton to uh, impose their style of football onto the game, play a nice brand, hopefully get a couple of goals and hopefully get another three points, which can just, as you say, keep this keep this momentum rolling. Because I think, you know, in you know, in all aspects of the club at the minute, whether it be men's, women's, you know, academy, and anything, you know, this positive momentum there is that is building around the club at the minute is is absolutely crucial. And Chris, obviously a veteran of Merseyside derbies, <laughs> I think that feeling coming away from Anfield with a win never changes, does it? Can't beat it. Oh, it's got me up there isn't it? <laughs> with the highlights. We were saying that. Yeah, I, I, I think my, I was speaking to Michael Ball earlier, and he's a similar age to me, Michael. And uh, he was saying, you know, whether it's Sabuti or with his mate or whatever, <laughs> any, any Merseyside um, derby win. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it just it's it wasn't smash and grab it, it, it you know it was a comprehensive performance from 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 start to finish and yeah well, you like to see that you know whether it's men's team women's team junior team whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah to go and like that uh, dominate your, your local rivals in in, in such a manner of uh, course we welcome I'm, I'm sure that you know everyone would be able to snap your hand off a, a repeat of that uh, in the premier league late this season absolutely well Moving on to Frank Lampard's side, obviously mm. we're in the middle of an international break, but there's still a few things going on. But first to start with, with you, Adam, because you've written a story on this today. Frank Lampard's been penning his own words, hasn't he, talking about mm. a little bit about what he's learned so far over the course of, of this season. I mean, what, what do you make of what he said earlier today? What do you think the key points were? Well, I think he hits the nail on the head again, doesn't he? I think you know he's right to highlight the amount of improvement that the side have already had especially highlighted those sort of midfield areas with the likes of Alex Awobi, Idrissa Guy, Amadou Onana, the ones who started against West Ham, performing so well. But I think it was interesting to see him also focusing on the improvements that can still be made, especially mm-hmm. in that area of the pitch as well. I think he said the phrase, can we be better on the ball? Yes, we can. And I think that's that's a theme that a lot of Evertonians picked up on, You know, especially against West Ham. You know, they, they, they are still tiny bit wasteful when, when they get to the final third, not really creating the amount of chances that Evertonians might have liked, considering the amount of possession that mm-hmm. they did 
have and you know possession in advanced areas as well but you know they, i don't think it's a negative at all for frank lampard to be highlighting these sort of things you know he obviously highlighted how important neil mope was as well to, to just be somebody who gets the ball in the back of the net the leadership of the likes of connor cody and james tarkovsky as well at the back you know there's there's a lot of positive aspects to a uh, to be focusing on and it's in this Everton side at the minute but I do think it is important that Lampard is still focusing on the amount of improvements that can still be made you can't you can't rest on your laurels especially you know we'll come to it in a bit especially when there's the likelihood of injuries that can still uh, affect your team selection further down the line you've got to be adaptable in these sorts of situations you've still got to be looking at you know what could happen if this happens what could happen if this happens and yeah, I think it's really important that Lampard is still focusing on those sort of improvements because, you know, Everton are coming up to a really crucial run of games now up until uh, the well, you know, the break for the World Cup. They need to pick up a lot of points in that time and the only way that that's going to happen is if, they, is if they keep up that sort of level of improvements and that level of, uh, that level of positivity and motivation that we were mm. talking about before. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think we obviously we spoke on it about it already on here, but the win against West Ham was obviously a very important win. I think we all agree Evans didn't need to win that game, but it was always going to be a game that was very, very helpful to win. Chris, when you look back at what Frank said earlier on today, I mean, how reassuring do you find it that you have a Everton have a manager here who's not just willing to kind of show you complacency or wrestling's laurels and say that's the win that just proves everything has been a success so far. But actually takes a step back and again, like he does when the points aren't coming Everton's way or the luck isn't going Everton's way, he, he looks at the wider context and, and says, well, look, you know, maybe we've been a bit unlucky here. Well, here we have, we've got positives, we've got a win. But he's there turning back and saying, you know, how can we improve? There is an awareness that, you know, they're very much at the beginning of a project. Yeah. I think that's what Frank's been like since the start, hasn't he? He's always sort of seen the bigger picture, and as much as um, as fans, you, you you want those those instant results, and you could even say as as, as journalists, you want those soundbites that you know this is a must-win game or or whatever. I know Marco Silva obviously went on; he was further along the line, but he admitted that ahead of the fixture against West Ham himself a few, a few years ago. But Frank has sort of always taken a step back from that, and there's. Um, He's, he's even I suppose in, in the way he's, he's he's managed the players. I mean, um, it would have been a popular decision, wouldn't it, between Dominic Calvert Lewin to be included against West Ham United, and we all expected that. But then when he wasn't, perhaps he, again he's looking at the bigger picture. Um, he needed that first win of the season, mm. but he's thinking, well, maybe I need Dominic for the longer haul here. I need him to be fit for me for the great majority of the matches. So let's be a bit more cautious with him, giving him about a bit, bit more time to to recover. And he's, he's at that level head and that's what and that's what Everton need because, you know, we've said many a time, Farhad Mashiri's he's been through like six managers in six years at the club and the last thing they need is, is more changes and uh, 
more short-term thinking. There's been so much spent, but there's not been really strategy behind that. And for the first time, really, in a long time, we're seeing a more methodical, more um, sort of planned approach to the way they've, they've gone about things. I mean, people, again, there's been another recurring theme on the podcast has been the perception from Evertonians compared to the perception of what's going on at the mm. club from the outside. And they say, oh, Frank's under pressure. Frank's not won a game. But um, it, it, the people who were in the stadium could see what was going on. And OK, they've not got as many points as they'd have liked to have had. They, they, they weren't panicking and they, they were behind the project because they could see that the, the steps that were, were being in place. And a lot of that is down to Frank Lampard saying, well, no, this... This is what we're doing, and it's step by step rather than that short short termism that Everton have suffered from so much in recent times. So you talk about there about a player that wasn't involved against West Ham, obviously Dominic Calvert Lewin. The headlines today and yesterday are about another player who wasn't involved against West Ham. That's same midfielder that Alan, who looks like he's on the verge of a move to United Arab Emirates. The Abu Dhabi-based side Al Wadi have confirmed that he signed a two-year deal for him. It looks at, they've even got pictures of him posing with uh, paperwork and all sorts. Mm-hmm. Everton haven't confirmed it yet, and mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of uh, room between the two at the moment. But it, it looks like it's 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 going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I think it's just down to technicalities and semantics and things like that as to who confirms what and when. Um, Alan leaving the squad, Adam, has it come as any surprise to you? Uh, not not particularly, uh, especially given the the start of the season and the fact that he's you know not not played mm-hmm. not played a minute for the club so no. far this season. I think it's realistic that he's seventh choice thanks to the new additions that have been brought to the club uh, this year. Seventh seventh choice out of out of you know at, at the minute three potential positions mm-hmm. in the starting lineup. We don't know whether that might. And change. seventh choice out of seven really when it comes to centre midfielders. Essentially, essentially, yeah, and. You know he's he's still somebody who's a big wage earner as well. It, it kind of makes sense uh, if if there was going to be any interest in him for the club to to field that. And you know as it as it turns out, it looks very likely uh, that you know he, he he is going to leave Everton, which you know I suppose is a little bit of a shame in a sense because I do think he is a top quality footballer. Uh, but has he got? Did he have the the energy and the physicality for the Premier League mm-hmm. in the end on a regular basis? Probably not. Was he played in his actual best position during his time at Everton? Probably not either. I think you know Carlo Ancelotti described him as you know one of the world's best defensive midfielders when he signed him for the club. I'm not actually sure. And number six was his no. best role. I think he probably would have been utilised a little bit further forwards. You know, in a role similar to that of Abdoulaye Decore. I think it was more needs must essentially that he was playing in that number six role because. You know, thanks to the injury to Gabam and Everton just didn't have anybody else uh, to fill that position, and he did he did really really well for a, for a long period of time in that role. But I do, I do just have that feeling of a of a missed opportunity. He only showed glimpses of that player who could you know dribble out of tight spaces, play those through balls into you know the likes of Richarlison mm-hmm. who was making runs for him up front. I would have loved to have maybe seen a little bit more of that, Jordan is time in Everton because he's certainly got that in his locker but I think with Frank Lampard's arrival Everton have just kind of evolved past that especially with the sign of a, of a Drissa guy I think he's a, a very very similar player to Alan apart from the fact that he can get around the pitch yeah. a lot a lot easier and a lot more consistently over the course of a 90 minutes which I think as soon as he came it kind of spelled the end 
the end for a land's time at Goodison Park. So, you know, it, it, it is a shame because I think he did give Everton two good seasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue with Everton recouping recouping a bit of money off the wage bill, you know, maybe having his contract cancelled out or mm-hmm. whatever whatever the deal ends up ends up being. But yeah, I think it I think it makes sense for all parties really. Yeah, when you look at what Everton have done over the course of the summer, it does almost seem like the writing's been on the wall. Obviously, you know, no Allen isn't necessarily number six, but that's probably the position where you know he's played most so far for for, for Everton. And mm-hmm. I mean if ever there was a time when Frank Lampard needed a number six or a number six, even if he had question marks over, but thought might be able to do a job, we get into the side. It was the beginning of the season when, in the end, Everton started the season with only two fit centre midfielders, yeah. one of whom wasn't a centre midfielder, it was Alex Awobi. And yeah. we all, all know what happened, what's happened there. He's, he's been brilliant since since then. And I think I feel a bit sorry for Alan in some respects because he's been on the bench every game. The one game he missed was the Aston Villa one. Mm. And that's probably the one game where had he been on the bench, he would have got a start, he would have Probably. got a game because obviously Abdullah Dakori came off injured after about half an hour. And then you're in a situation where actually Tom Davis came on for him and, and later in the game is Amadou Anana who came in. But neither of those were fully matched fit by yeah. any stretch of imagination at that point. So you think had Alan been ready and, and primed to go and not suffering his own injury issues, then it could well have been a different story from he may well have come on, had a chance to impress, but see that didn't happen. Then we saw what happened in our final stage of the transfer window. Signed Edrissa Gale on the last day of the window. James Garner, there's two centre midfielders. And then mm. you, know, you have to look at the last squad against, against West Ham. All six of those centre midfielders were in the squad. Alan wasn't. And then we had Lampard at the end saying that it was selection issues as opposed to injuries or anything like that. So, Chris, do you, when you look back at Alan's time mm. at Everton, I mean, when you look at the, the last two significant involvements that he had, yeah. were the infamous game, the Anfield Merseyside derby yeah. uh, in April last uh, last season when you know, he, he had that stat, which was an unfair stat because the context was far wider given his, his performance and some of the, the, the defensive duties that he did. But he only completed one pass in, in 73 minutes and a lot was made of that after. Yeah. And obviously you go a couple of weeks earlier than that, you had the situation where he got sent off against Newcastle. Mm-hmm. You know, for, He received a straight red for, uh, I think we all still openly question how that ended up not being a yellow. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's slightly unfortunate that those are the, almost the final two acts in his Everton career? Yeah, I mean, they, they have to be done. I mean, I mean, thank goodness for the United Arab Emirates transfer window for, for staying <laughs> over, open because it's enabled Everton to get uh, one of their high earners off the books who would become surplus to requirements. I mean, unfortunately, like you said, because... He, he, he leaves Everton without scoring a goal as as well. And you think about uh, what, what, what we're going to remember Alan for in, in years to come. I'll probably remember him for his, for his big shorts <laughs> as, much, as much as anything. Um, um, I don't know, it's just the way he wore them. But um, back, back in the day, they reckon that David Unsworth and Richard Dunn used to fight for the biggest pair of shorts in, in <laughs> But Alan, only a, 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 a little man, as, as Frank's... Own uncle Harry Redknapp infamously said last season that little boy Alan can't run, and uh, yeah, I think it was those, those lack of legs, which not in terms of length, but in terms of how he could <laughs> actually get the motoring up and down the pitch, which which did for him because he'd been a very effective player mm-hmm. in Serie A, a more pedestrian pace. I mean, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, of course, talking about James Coleman's longevity and said, "Oh, he can play on to 40. I mean, Ancelotti had the likes of Costa Curta. 
and Maldini in his back four at Milan in their fifth decade is very different here mm. in England. And I think Alan found that out that you know the sort of game he could play in Italy very effectively. Um, he couldn't do it there. And I actually and I, I spoke to him before. I mean, you can't blame it all on me, but I spoke to him before <laughs> that infamous Merseyside derby for the for the Sunday papers. He was done through an interpreter. He could he could understand quite a bit of English, but he felt more comfortable through his Portuguese and interpreter and he, you know he was very level-headed he was a very sort of sound guy really and i think that was one of the things about him he, he didn't kick up a fuss necessarily mm. when he wasn't including because he was a player of a great reputation a brazil international but it could have been quite easy i guess like something like james rodriguez he sort of went not long after carlo ancelotti and could say okay rafa pushed pushed him out or whatever but there's never any hint of that with Alan. Mm. The, the fact that ancelotti had pushed so hard to bring him into everton but he did. He didn't seem to be grumbling, you know. When Carlo had gone, he just got on with his job, and he was always supporting the team, even if he, he wasn't actually in the, the side himself. So, so a top pro. But I just think maybe he came to Evan at the the wrong time. I mean, it was obviously in, in the COVID lockdown as well, and playing in those matches uh, behind closed doors a lot, a lot of the time. Maybe he'd have been a bit younger. He might have. Um, a bit better, but yeah, at this advanced stage of career, I mean, Everton can't afford to have a player in mm. those kind of wages being surplus to requirements. So, hopefully, it does all go through. And uh, uh best of luck for Alan out there. Yeah, he lost Richarlison as well. Obviously, yeah. he, uh, the, the two Brazilians, I think they were they were friends, they certainly mm. did things together off the pitch, as you might may well expect for teammates that you know, both speak yeah. the same language and part of their international setups together. Adam, he's probably one of a fair few players, and we'll focus on centre midfield in, in specifically the Everton have had over the last few years, where there's no doubt that they've had quality. They they, they have the ability to be very effective in, mm-hmm. in the Premier League in, in their careers. It just hasn't quite worked out for them. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go through the transfer window, most of the interest comes on who's coming in. Mm-hmm. But under the radar, quite quietly, it almost feels, not a lot of fanfare, Kevin Fairwell, the, you know, the director of football, and Frank Lampard have actually got rid of a few players that are probably for surplus to requirements. And say, we look at centre midfield. Obviously, you've got Deli Ali on loan at uh, Besiktas. You've got Gabamin at Trabs on Spore. Mm-hmm. You've got the final deal of the final day of the of the Europe of the main European transfer window. Um, we saw uh, Gomez go out as well. I mean, mm-hmm. how impressed they often say that it's it's far harder to get players out than it is to get players in. I mean, how impressive you've been with that work to, you know, rather than end up with a with a bloated squad of players that perhaps aren't in aren't at the forefront of Frank Lampard's plans. It could be so easy to have them around Finch Farm, frustrated, disappointed not to be playing in week in, week out. But instead, actually they they trimmed the squad quite a bit. How impressive have you have you been with that? Very impressed. Uh, I think Everton have been uh, quite a solid case study uh, over the last few years about how difficult it is to mm-hmm. get those kinds of players out of the club, mainly because they keep signing, signing <laughs> players that just don't work out, which is, which is, a, I suppose, is the main crux of the issue. But yeah, I, I have been really impressed because I, I did, you know, in my in my cynical head, I did think that Everton probably would get to the end of the transfer window and they'd have uh, some of these players mm-hmm. hanging around. Uh, who are just surplus to requirements, you know, a la somebody like Cenk Tosin, uh, as he was at the end of last season. Now, no injury played a part in that. Uh, but, you know, he's been surplus to requirements for about three years <laughs> and, and Everton just couldn't really 
find a way to to get him properly out the door. Uh, I think it's really impressive to have got somebody like Gomez, for instance, uh, is probably the one that stands out to me mm-hmm. as as somebody who has just been so inconsistent during his time at Everton, in and out of the team. He's actually been without injury for quite a little bit now, and I did just think, you know, who's who's potentially in Europe gonna gonna take a punt on mm-hmm. on somebody like that? Who you know, obviously, as you as you alluded to, does have a lot of quality about him, but probably not the kind of Premier League quality that Everton have needed for, for not quite a while. Post injury, either. not post injury, certainly not for the style of play that Frank Lampard mm-hmm. wanted. To implement so it was it, you know i i did just kind of think oh, maybe andre gomez is just going to be stuck around with 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 nowhere to go so i was really impressed that you know everton managed to find a move for him and a good move for him as well yeah. you know leo leo is a fantastic move for him and i really hope he uh he does well over there uh similarly you know alan getting a permanent move you know fingers crossed uh i think is a really good switch for him something that works out for all parties Delhi is the, is is the is another really interesting one, isn't it? Because he's only had a few months, I suppose, to to really prove himself almost, mm-hmm. and you know it, it ended up being a very low risk sort of move for Everton to take yeah. with the deal that they had with Spurs, and you know fingers crossed that he's going to be able to to prove himself over in Besiktas. Uh, who's the other one? Gabamon, yeah, <laughs> Gabamon adds. His other loan move last season, didn't he? Which uh, actually got him some some minutes, which is uh, which is all he yeah. which is all he needed. So you know maybe that's played a part in him being able to secure another loan move. But yeah, I think Kevin Thelwell has done a lot so far in in, in a really short period of time in terms of you know not just signing players but you know, sorting out the backroom appointments, you know, getting the academy in line. But I think. Perhaps one of the most underrated things is being able to clear off uh, some of this wage bill. I know, well, a lot of with these loans, it's only a percentage of of their wages, etc. But yeah. every little helps <laughs> with Everton in the current financial situation that they're in. So yeah, I think the outgoings have been just as important as the incomings, and not only for the players themselves, but for the squad that remains at Goodison Park as well. It's probably not great for morale if you've got somebody like an Andre Gomez or an Alan who I'm not saying would kick up a fuss mm. but would still be part of the group and would be you know understandably disappointed that they're not really getting a look in or you know they, they can't force their way into the squad and you know they're the popular member they were popular members of the squad they, they, they would have people who you know would feel sorry for them and you know maybe it would drag the morale down just a just a slight little mm-hmm. bit but you know Thankfully, Kevin Thelwell has managed to make sure that that has not been the case. And I think, yeah, that is, that's a really positive sign. Yeah, it's interesting when you say about some of those personalities. Like I remember being at Goodison, sorry, not Goodison, but like at Finch Farm on transfer deadline day. Uh, and as I was leaving, I was I was stuck behind Alan as he left. And he was there and he was signing autographs for all the people that were gathering. Again, you just think, you know, when you step away from you, when you live your life on social media, a lot of the transfer deadline day, you know, one of the conversations ongoing is, is Alan going to go? Who's going to take him? How are we going to get him off the wage bill? And you can imagine how that'd be quite a difficult situation for the player if he's paying any attention to it. But instead, what you've got is you've got another one. And Lampard said this before the West Ham game, and I asked him about Alan. You know, he said he's a you know he's a top professional. 
uh, and he's someone that trains very well every day. And you still got that sense, and it didn't kick up a fuss, even as you know he perhaps kind of moved further and further down the pecking order in 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 recent weeks. So, you know, obviously that's that's really interesting. But the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We talk about the summer and we talk about the last few months. Obviously, only time will tell as to whether any of the changes that the likes of Farewell and Lampard make are a success. But, Chris, one thing that does feel different about Everton at the moment is uh, well, I'm, I, I'm guessing you're going to agree with me, but you, you might not. Is it does feel like in everything, whether it be the first team, whether it be what's going on at Finch Farm, whether it be you know, the outgoings or the ingoings, what's going on, on the pitch. It feels like there's a strategy that's underpinning everything. Everything, for once, everything makes sense. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. It was when you were telling me that tale, Joe, I was just thinking that another issue caused by Alan's lack of mobility there. So you, <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you've witnessed it first hand. <laughs> but yeah, moving on to, uh, yeah, the, the, the general picture of, of the club. Um, yeah, um, Again, it goes back to what we were saying about what Evertonians are viewing and the way they see their club, and they know mm-hmm. better than anybody because they live and breathe it and love it and see more of it than anybody and what people from outside are saying. But and I think that's why there's no panic stations. That's why if you'd have at this point total under another manager in different circumstances a year ago, people might have been saying different things. But yeah, they can see. There is there is planning about it, and that's been the the, the big problem um, all along. Is that, that, that there hasn't been that strategy or um, the way things have, that they've gone about the, the spending um, just hasn't been in any sort of uh, methodical way. Uh, we we had last week the, um, the two managers speaking about um, their, their time at Everton and how things haven't mm-hmm. um, gone the way they would hoped to me. I, I did a piece on it at the weekend. Obviously, Benitez went through, say, you know, his former Liverpool connections meant that he couldn't do the things that he wanted. And Robert's pointed out Hamas Rodriguez, Luca Dean were both mm-hmm. sold in, in half a season. He saw off a director of football, head of medicine, whatever the actual official title Danny Donaghy had. That was hot on in, in half a season. Then he just swiftly moved on with Sky Sports as well to, to Ronald Koeman talking about the. the well, first as Adam pointed out, um, he raised his league position by by one yeah. to six, which is crucial when you've got a, a big six in England. It makes like he's he's, he's broken into that mm. monopoly, which he didn't actually do. And um, his, his, his second in accuracy in a matter of seconds, how possibly this highest position for fifteen years when um, Martinez had done um, the club record Premier League finish just three years earlier, and you look at that 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 summer that Koeman had before he got the sack and under a different director of football between them, him, him and Steve Walsh managed to bring in three number 10s. They, uh, they, they've got the two players who are still at the club, um, Pickford and Keane, who've had varying successes, but then there are other people like, um, I'm trying to think who, who Sandra Ramirez. Came in. Yeah, Sandra Ramirez, yeah, <laughs> a small fee, but huge wages and a, yeah. and a, 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 a massive... Um, Flop, um, Vlasic, who's been a flop twice now in, in the Premier League, spotted playing against Everton in a Europa League qualifier, great scout in there. And there's there's just no sort of strategy behind it. It was a record-breaking summer in terms of the money they, they spent, but it was largely squandered, whereas now they're having to cut the cloth more uh, 
more accordingly and sort of live within their means a lot more. And it does seem that while they were sort of more exciting times at the time, you're looking back at them, they seem rather ridiculous. You know, the, the amounts that were squandered, really, I'm sure. Even for hard machine, he is, you know, he's acknowledged his mistakes now and would admit that himself. You know, the, that, was, that was in the early years of his, his, his tenure. And um, the, he, I guess he's, he's learned on, he was learning on the job as an owner. And we've all learned the hard way to, to see that the way things have gone at Evans and said it's only now that they're sort of picking up the pieces mm. from that and moving on. Obviously, the international break, Adam, is always an interesting time for what ends up dominating the airwaves, whether it be mm. on TV or radio, as, as different media try to fill their gaps because there's no Premier League football. When you were watching those interviews last week, when you saw what Koeman had to say and Benitez had to say, and almost their, their, their lack of humility as they attempted to rewrite history <laughs> or certainly rewrite their time on Merseyside, or at least at Finch Farm and Goodison Park for Rafa, because obviously he had a good time at, at Anfield. How frustrating is it just to see that and to listen and think, you know, you know, I was there. I saw how this unfolded. <laughs> this isn't what happened. Yeah. And I can't believe that this is your takeaway from your experience here at this brilliant club. I think the most frustrating thing is that it so often goes unchallenged. Yeah. And, mm. you, you, you know, grant, granted, the, you know, the, the respective reporters might not have done their research as, uh, you know, where Everton finished under in Ronald Koeman's first season and they probably go, oh, he... He probably knows where he finished. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take his word for it. But yeah, and I think that's the that's the most annoying thing, though, is that like, this gets shared about on a national platform, and everybody who's not an Everton fan will just take that as as given that that is that that is right, and mm-hmm. you know that's you know that's Ronald Koeman's opinion that that you know he finished sixth, and it was the highest Everton had finished in. Well, let's say fifteen. Yeah, it, it sounded, sounded like 50, it sounded yeah. very close to fifty, yeah. which, which would have been absolutely horrendous if he'd have said that. But yeah. let's give him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. and you know, he might have meant fifteen. But yeah, I think that's the most annoying thing for me personally is that it just it just so regularly goes unchallenged. Then yeah. you'd love you'd love like an Evertonian to be there and just go, no, this 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 isn't what happens. As B said, like Cumin, you you with along with the director of football, you shouldn't have been there. You squandered millions and millions in a summer, and then rightly got got sacked for how badly it went. Mm-hmm. Rafa Benitez never really should have been appointed in the first place. It wasn't the fact that you were an ex-manager that you failed. It was the fact that you'd won one in 13. one in thirteen games. Like that's a run of form that's going to get any manager sacked. Like, it doesn't matter who you've who you've managed previously. So I, I think in those situations, I just love there to be. A, Another voice there, yeah, somebody, yeah, so somebody, somebody of the Everton perspective who could just go, who could fact check it essentially, yeah. and just go, no, mm-hmm. no, no, instead of Everton fans having to do it after the fact, and then you know, as as it always happens on social media, you know, fans of other clubs going, oh, you're just salty, blah blah blah, and it's just like, no, this this is this is just this just isn't isn't the way that it that it happened at all. So you know, I'm not I'm not shocked that you know these managers are coming out to defend themselves because. You know, there's probably a few a few jobs knocking around now that the, the pair of them are might might well yeah, have their eyes on because you know that, that same narrative that, that you talk about there you know, this the, the unchallenged perspective on Everton from from the outside is obviously continued into this season where you know you have people 
seemingly thinking that Lampard was going to be the most under pressure manager when the season started, mm. you know, and one of the favourites to go, it would be the first to go. And obviously, since then, obviously we've seen Scott Parker, you know, being dismissed from Bournemouth. We've mm. seen Thomas Tuchel go from Chelsea, mm. and I think all of a sudden, you know, everyone caught on to the fact that actually Frank's pretty safe at Everton because. Finally, he's not in the the list of favourites to go. I think yeah. Brendan Rodgers is probably up there at, at, mm. at the moment. But you know, I mean, it is interesting how even in the past six months, and there's been a lot of legitimate reasons to scrutinise and criticise Everton. Mm. You know, obviously the wider structure, their their failures, and the failures of those managers are emblematic and symptomatic of, of wider problems. At Everton, you know, the, the failure to kind of almost control those decisions or have a you know have have more of a strategy that underpins everything so that you don't have to rip up the, the book every time that you get a new strategic director or, sorry new football director or, or, or a new manager but it does really feel like we have to keep on fighting the, the good fight in in our own comment pieces all the time isn't yeah. it? every week it's, it's yeah. something on those lines but an underrated one by the way is the time Allardyce has also been out this month <laughs> he, he was on. He was on that Chris Kamara and Ben Shepherd podcast, and he and he was spouting. I took Everton from seventeenth to eighth <laughs> yet again. Yeah. Oh, it's just getting. Yeah. I hate that one. I hate start, that one. Starting with that four 0 win against West Ham. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he, as yeah. if he masterminded that game because he was in the stands for some reason. Oh, just, yeah, I think yeah. Joe. Joe I, I compared them to politicians because that's mm-hmm. what they like trying to write their own narrative and <laughs> playing fast and loose with. The fact, but the difference being that a, a political reporter would have, fact like I said, fact checked that and then would have pulled yeah. them up straight away. Whereas, yeah, say in, in the football manager says, yeah, they probably did do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for all we 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 herald the strategy and the the the, the clear thinking that we has underpinned the efforts of, of Falwell and Lampard. One of the most positive things of this season actually stems back from last January and before their tenure in fairness. That's the form of Nathan Patterson, Chris. We're still waiting to hear just how bad his injury is, and and and, and the, the suggestions are from within the camp that it's not as bad as as first feared. Obviously, he got stretched off for Scotland against Ukraine, and I think we're all thinking the worst. He, he endured a bad injury at the back end of last season. He's been phenomenal so far this season. Now, we think it's not going to be devastating news, but the context of, of what not as bad as we think might be isn't it there for us? It's probably. Hopefully it'll be cases weeks rather than months. I think Everton are just currently waiting, you know, to kind of get a firm opinion on an evaluation injury and how long he's going to be out for. Now we've got Southampton at the, the back end of this week. Assuming that Nathan Patterson isn't going to be fit for that, which I think is a fair assumption. It's, yeah. it's clear that he's going to, going to be out. It's just a case of how long for. If you're Frank Lampard, what would you do? You've got. James Coleman there, who's been on the bench for for, you know, for for the last few games. You've got people have talked about Stanley Mills as a potential option down there. You've got the opportunity to perhaps you know go you know, with Michael Keane fit and potentially some some you know Holgate near in fitness. You could potentially go to three centre backs and have a right wing back, which might suit Stanley Mills a little bit more. It might. It might you know give an option for a Wobi to go back there if you were to pull him out of centre midfield where he's been so good this season, but obviously you know Everton are well stopped in that position at the moment. I'm not saying that's what I'd do, yeah. but if Patterson isn't starting, you're looking at Southampton, your team sheet on Friday, yeah. on Saturday. 
how are you how are you feeling that gap on the right yeah I, I wouldn't overcomplicate things and for for me that means Seamus Coleman it might be different if Everton were still playing the 3-4-3 three, three, which mm -hmm. they started the season with and obviously young Stanley Mills have done well in it I mean although he's not actually a primarily a no. wing back anyway he's yeah. a midfielder isn't he but he'd done so well as a wing back and caught the eye in pre-season maybe he would have been a more dynamic option if Everton was still going with that formation but I think the fact that they've reverted back to the flat back four that uh, Seamus Coleman has been you know, such a player for Everton in that position for, for a long time I wouldn't overcomplicate things at this stage he's been the fact that um Patterson was fit again and Seamus was injured pre-season and Patterson had done so well so far this season and allow it's allowed Seamus to sort of rehabilitate himself gradually and he's not been rushed back in he only in fact the pair of them actually saw them both play in, in the Fleetwood game when uh, Coleman, the only game he's played this season, played on the right-hand side of the, the back three. And we wondered if he was going to feature much this season. It yeah. might be as that right-sided centre-back with Everton playing a, a flat-back, sorry, a, a three-man defence rather than the flat-back four. But I think given the circumstances, I would I would go with um, Seamus because as much as Stanley Mills and possibly other options maybe a bit more dynamic and uh, I think that it, you know we can't disregard Coleman's service for over a decade mm -hmm. at, at the club the most senior player at the club and you know it's, it's not just in terms of that but you know that the attributes that he brings as a captain because there's no guarantee I guess yet yeah, that Jordan Pickford even well, going to be back as well so yeah I, I wouldn't overcomplicate things and I, I, I'd, I'd put um, Seamus in there because he, he's the natural um, Option. Remember, it's not that long ago that he was, you know, he was his regular at the position. It's only because Patterson has seized his opportunity in pre-season and sort of grasped that with both hands and done so well that he, he, he possibly didn't even start the season himself. And not only has Patterson's form given extra time for Coleman to, to get back to full fitness, but it's also has given time for Frank Lampard to build a midfield that actually functions mm -hmm. uh, with the new signings and integrate them. Would you be doing the same? As, uh, as Chris Adam, yeah, I think it, it it makes it makes a lot of sense to not really not really shake things mm -hmm. up too much. I think, especially when you're talking about the midfield three, the midfield three is so mobile and so positionally intelligent. I, mm -hmm. I, I would suggest that if you know one of Mikolenko or Coleman was caught up the pitch, you'd trust. Well, well I trust all three of them to be mm -hmm. to be back there covering if the if they need to be, especially somebody like Idris, a guy who's done it so often at Everton in the past, you know, he, he, we often saw him, you know, covering covering the fullback positions whenever you know the likes of Coleman or Leighton Baines would be bombing forward uh, throughout those times. So yeah, I, I think you know it's it's not like it's not as if like some fans are suggesting that Coleman should be sent out to pasture or something <laughs> like that. You know, he, he, he's still he's still a top quality Premier League player in my opinion, and I think this this is a shameless Coleman who. He's going to have something to prove as well. You know, he's been kept out of the team quite rightly by Nathan mm -hmm. Patterson at the start of this season. He, you know, he's still a professional. He won't really like sitting on the sitting on the sidelines, even if it is for somebody who he's going to want to, you know, nurture himself and bring through uh, uh, at the start of his at the start of his career. You know, Coleman's going to want that place in the side. Uh, he's going to come in to add even more experience mm -hmm. to an already. You know, a backline which is full of leadership and experience with the likes of Cody and Tarkovsky. Granted, he's not going to have the sort of pace that Patterson has, for example, but I think he's just as defensively capable, just as capable of getting forward if if needs be as well. So, 
yeah, I, I wouldn't be too concerned with Seamus Coleman moving over there. And then if you want to bring somebody onto the bench, somebody like a Kyle John, for example, who's still still with the club, obviously, you know, be, could be a nice experience for him to mm-hmm. get on the bench, maybe get a few Premier League minutes for him as well, because you know he's a he's another one who's a quite a dynamic young fullback as well. So it'd be interesting to see uh, if he could if he could maybe get off the bench a couple of times as well. But yeah, I think I think Coleman is is the obvious option, even if there are, you know, other alternatives, I suppose. Yeah, Coleman, mm-hmm. Coleman all day for me. Well, we're expecting some firm details on the extent of Patterson's injury probably in the next day or two, and then probably be later on in the week as we get to press conference territory that we find out a little bit more of the progress of Jordan Pickford, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, probably Mason Holgate will come in, into the question as well. Now it's been a few weeks since he was out and given some of the other you know, some of the issues that have been having in defence. Chris, we'll finish on this question. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin wasn't part of the squad against West Ham. Yeah. Um, the explanation was, you know, why risk him for this game? We've got another two weeks to kind of really get into top shape. Yeah. Work on the basis that he is fit and that yeah. he's going to be fit for, for Saturday's game. Would you start him? No. No. Mopey's more more scored the win against West Ham. United, I don't think you you, you have to. Uh, I think Mopey's there on merit at the moment. My hope is that Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be fit for the majority of the season and will be Everton's starting centre-forward for the majority of the season, scoring lots of goals. But on this occasion, uh, Mopey keeps his place and I'd have Calvert-Lewin on the bench at best. Yeah, Adam? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I probably would agree. I think the West Ham game did kind of show where Everton are still missing. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, obviously, Mopé was the difference, and I think his style fits well with somebody like an Alex Iwobi because he you know, dropped off into those spaces that mm-hmm. Iwobi likes to interchange with the striker, which allowed the midfielders to push forward into the box a little bit more. But it did mean that when the likes of Damari Gray, for example, uh, you know, he was flashing crosses across the box, whether it was you know low ones, some sort of high ones, there were a couple of opportunities against West Ham where I was like, Calvert-Lewin probably, score, probably scores that chance. Yeah. You know, he's he's the kind of six-yard box poacher that those wingers were setting up chances for. If Frank Lampard has got the chance to work, you know, Damari Gray and Neil Mopé, for example, still with the club over the course of this international break, if he's had the chance to work with them a little bit more, maybe work on their partnership, uh, then, yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. But I, I do think with the way that Everton is still set up in this formation... There's a lot of opportunities that maybe go begging when Calvert-Lewin's mm-hmm. not in and around the six-yard box. So I think for Southampton, certainly, I think Mopé is, you know, he's earned he's his place against, you know, from his goal against West Ham, his performance against Liverpool absolutely deserves his place. But wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Calvert-Lewin come off the bench. And if he gets a goal, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I was going to say, I mean, the dream scenario is probably that Everton are 3 0 up after 60 minutes and uh, oh, Calvin Lewin okay. could come on for. I said 3 0 after 60 minutes. I said dream scenario. <laughs> and then Calvin Lewin can get some easy minutes without yeah. any pressure. Yeah. And then preferably just get that match fitness back because it does feel as if. It would be, he was the type of player that you would want to start against that mm-hmm. Manchester United defence. I know that they've kept two clean sheets in a row and yeah. their form has, has picked up. But, but a target man against so the Sandro Martinez isn't the biggest mm-hmm. uh, at the back and neither are the, uh, the full-back. So mm-hmm. you, you think that if you could get us through a situation where you could take points from Southampton, 
give Calvert-Lewin some minutes to then maybe prep him for, for the game against Manchester United back at Goodison Park. And that, that would be the dream scenario. And let's be honest, there haven't been many dreams that have come into fruition for Everton no. over the past six months. <laughs> there, so, no. But we'll keep our fingers crossed anyway. Now, before we get to the Southampton game, we will be with you again. We'll be with you on Friday before me and Chris set off on a long journey down to Southampton. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful week and thanks very much for listening to us. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.